This is J.D. Fascinetti, and you're listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Welcome to today's podcast. On a slight change of pace, today we are devoting this podcast to histiocytosis or histiocytic disorders. I am pleased to welcome three advocates from a group of these rare diseases that, together, with pituitary disorders share an important symptom and related condition, that of diabetes insipidus. We have written extensively about DI and we have recently devoted a live talk show to the subject. You can find this content by searching for DI on the Pituitary World News site. Briefly, histiocytosis or histiocytic disorders are a group of rare diseases that occur when there is an overproduction of white blood cells known as histiocytes, that can lead to organ damage and tumor formation. We are going to hear from our guests about these diseases, what they are, about their advocacy efforts, resources, barriers, and opportunities to make these diseases better known and to make sure that anyone who needs life-saving treatments and medications can get access. There are related conditions that can occur with histiocytosis, diabetes insipidus being the most common, which is why today we are focusing on the subject. Almost 50% of histiocytosis patients and 35% of pituitary patients are impacted by DI. I'm delighted to welcome these three guests to our show today, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them, and then we'll get started with the conversation. Diana Fournier is Executive Director of the Histiocytosis Association. Diana was diagnosed at age six with Langerhans cell histiocytosis, also known as LCH. She worked with the Histiocytosis Association throughout her childhood and young adult life as a volunteer. Her professional career included emergency medicine, and she managed global learning and development and business development for digital media, marketing, and advertising educational companies in New York City. In 2018, she joined the Association Board of Trustees as secretary, and in 2019, she became the executive director. Also joining us is Kathleen Brewer. Kathy is a founder and president of the ECD Global Alliance. Kathy has a master's degree and bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and begun her career in the aerospace industry as an engineer and software development manager. After marrying in 1998, she became involved in nonprofit work and contract work, and she is currently in the a process of retiring from a partnership position in a management consulting firm. Kathy lost her husband Gary to Erdheim-Chester disease, or ECD, in 2007. He remained undiagnosed through his life, and an autopsy revealed the diagnosis of ECD. Kathy will share more on how this experience propelled and inspired her advocacy work today. And last but not least is Claudio D. Girolamo, Claudio is president of the Histiocytosis Association of Canada with degrees from York University and postgraduate studies at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Claudio has been involved in healthcare information technology for over 38 years and is a proud father of three adult daughters. He began volunteering in nonprofit organizations after his first retirement in 2017 and was eagerly looking forward to an early retirement in 2018 
when in 2018 his middle daughter was diagnosed with hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH. Claudia will tell us how this nightmare became the catalyst to the work he is doing today. This is my conversation with this amazing group of people. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome, everybody. I'm delighted you're here at the Pituitary News Podcast. We're going to talk about uh, histiocytosis in general and histiocytic uh, disorders and how that uh, disease uh, brings us all together, diabetes insipidus that is, is common to all of us. But why don't we start with that? And, and uh, uh, Deanna, why don't you start? Welcome. Thank you so much. It's it's an honor to be here, and we're so thrilled to be partnering together. So I'll share a little bit about histiocytosis and histiocytic disorders. Um, they're a group of rare diseases. They occur when there's an overproduction of white blood cells known as histiocytes, and that can lead to organ damage and tumor formation. Uh, it's easy to explain it from the roots of the word histiocytosis. So histio meaning tissue, site meaning cell, and osis meaning too many. So there's too many white blood cells. And this group of disorders is made up of a wide variety of conditions that can affect both children and adults. They're classified as rare neoplasms, which can be a form of cancer. And several of the histiocytic disorders have received classification by the World Health Organization as a cancer. The most common forms are, uh, they're really long, long names and difficult to pronounce, but Langerhans cell histiocytosis, Erdheim-Chester disease, hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, xanthrogranuloma, Rossi-Dorfman disease, and malignant histiocytosis. And patients can actually have various subtypes or multiple histiocytic disorders simultaneously. So thanks to the passion and dedication of clinicians and researchers around the world and through funding from the histio community via our organizations, knowledge has increased over the years. So effective treatments do exist, but patients still unfortunately are misdiagnosed, undiagnosed, or have complications that lead to long-term health effects and unfortunately sometimes fatality. Mm -hmm. And there are related conditions that can occur, diabetes insipidus being one, um, which is the reason why we're all speaking today. And yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me, uh, how long is the diagnosis journey in, in, in typically, or does it vary? How many, how long do people go undiagnosed? So um, let me start out by saying I'm Kathy Brewer, and it's real privilege well, to be here today. Welcome, Kathy. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I represent the ECD Global Alliance that supports ECD patients around the world. And we find that the diagnose, diagnostic journey can take, as some people are lucky enough to just get a diagnosis kind of uh, by luck, but it can take 10 or more years for some ECD patients. Yeah, and in your case, your, your, your experience with your husband, he was undiagnosed through his life, right? So. Correct. So my story is um, my husband began uh, having all sorts of kind of nonspecific symptoms. We went to medical institution after medical institution. His symptoms got worse and worse. He had a kidney transplant. We went to multiple teaching institutions. Yeah. And unfortunately, he passed away without a diagnosis in spite of having some of the best medical care our country has to offer. Yeah. Um, I asked for uh, autopsy at his passing and the autopsy discovered it was Erdhan-Chester disease. 
that uh, took his life. So from that, I, of course, had to understand more about this disease found through the Histiocytosis Association, other spouses who had um, husbands or wives with ECD and began to learn more about it. And together we decided we needed to do what we could to help um, other patients and help improve diagnosis. Yeah, so that's how the ECD Global Alliance was born. How many patients are impacted and generally in histiocytosis and, and then in, with ECD specifically? I'll talk a little bit about ECD and then I'll yeah. pass it to Deanna and Claudio to talk more generally about histiocytosis. With ECD, we have between 800 and 850 patients from around the world who have registered with our organization. The medical literature would say they think that maybe there's a thousand patients in the world with ECD. The real answer is no one knows. We believe it is an underdiagnosed disease. Yes. Uh, much like my husband's story, patients are suffering and don't know what the root cause is, which is one of the reasons why we're here today. And I think Deanna and Claudio can talk a little bit more about yeah. the histios. Yeah, Claudia, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about uh, your organization in Canada and the work that you do? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, JD, for having us on. My name My is Claudio Dietrich. My name is Claudio Dietrich. I represent the Histiocytosis Association of Canada, and I work very closely with both Kathy and Deanna on client or patient advocacy. The way that we approach the our, our patient and families. Um, is something that was very foreign to me. And it's something that, unfortunately, I had the, uh, the raw nightmare of going through this with my daughter. And if you'll just bear with me a moment, I'll take you through, through yes. what I went through in my journey. Um, my daughter was in law school in New York City, and we were planning a father-daughter uh, weekend of fun and, and dinners and, and travel throughout New York mm -hmm. City. And we were getting all ready Thursday night. She said goodnight. And 2.30 that morning, she called me up and with a fever of well over 104 uh, in convulsions and uh, incredible um, stomach pain. She called the ambulance. They came, picked her up. They took her to NYU. Um, we assumed that uh, it was just a, a fever and something that could have been diagnosed rather quickly and treated medically. Unfortunately, um, her uh, stats started going down dramatically, and at about seven o'clock that morning, the ER doctor uh, pushed the button for ICU, had an ICU doctor come down, and this individual, I call him the miracle doctor, he had, he had uh, spent over 20 years in ICU as the lead um, clinician, mm. and in his time, JD, he had only seen one of these such cases and immediately thought to the one patient that he did have a few years previously that had the same symptoms, but in order to prove his theory, he tested for ferritin. And the abnormal high levels of ferritin that came back into my daughter immediately, he believed it to be HLH, uh, a very, very aggressive form of um, one of the histio uh, diseases. And he immediately began uh, administering the right drugs and the right care plan, put her on the HLH-94 uh, protocol. And after 41 days and over 30 rounds of chemo, she recovered. And I'm wow. happy to say that she is a practicing attorney in New York City. 
but that, uh, that struggle to understand what this disease was. And if I could just put it plainly, the doctor came out and told me as she was lying in bed on intubated, doctor came out and told us as we flew down to New York City, he said, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is we know what it is. The bad news is we know what it is. Mm. And that automatically sends a flutter to your heart and you're trying mm -hmm. to struggle to find the information. And um, there was no information available. So that's why I joined the HAC. And in the span of about a year and a half, I've uh, become the president of the HAC. And my job is to evangelize on on the need and the desperation of parents that need to find information and support. Yeah, that's terrific. Well, I think it's what sort of binds us all together, this need to get awareness up so people recognize the disease, the journeys are shorter. And, and it sounds like in the case of your daughter, it was immediate that they were recognizing the disease. But so many people in, in these uh, rare diseases, particularly on the pituitary side, go decades sometimes without understanding what's wrong with them. So the need for awareness is critical uh, in this in this space. So I'm, I'm very glad you guys do the work you do. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about what initially uh, got us together, which was Deanna reaching out uh, with through Pat Gilroy uh, through the di uh, got diabetes insipidus, which is the symptom of DI, symptom of DI as a, uh, as a thing that, you know, joins us you know we pituitary disease is uh, 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 particularly after surgery it's very common that people could get uh, diabetes insipidus but it's also a sign of your disease because so why don't we talk a little bit about that um, how that works the eye and and how it's used to recognize uh, the histiocytosis and ECD Sure, I can speak to um, just general histiocytic disorders. So um, Langerhans cell histiocytosis or LCH um, is one of the, more, I think, more commonly diagnosed histiocytic disorders. Uh, it also is um, common in at least 12% of patients where multiple systems are involved that you would see diabetes insipidus. Sometimes it presents as the first symptoms. So a parent will be concerned or uh, you know, an adult is concerned because the, the overconsumption of water, that insatiable mm -hmm. desire for it to drink, and then obviously the, the things that follow that. And they will potentially go to the doctor and they might discover the diabetes insipidus, but may not be aware of the link to histiocytosis. And there are other times where a histiocytic disorder is discovered through other means. And then because of the involvement in pituitary, um, there, there would be late effects of diabetes insipidus that would they would have to deal with those symptoms throughout their lifetime. Um, generally, we see that with patients with lesions in the bones around the eyes, the ears, jaws, they have a higher risk of developing. And if there's central nervous system complications, um, that's where you see more of the potential for that to occur. And um, I'll pass the, to Kathy to talk a little bit about ECD. Um, I think ECD, Rosa Dorfman, and LCH are the most commonly uh, seen to have a correlation with diabetes insipidus. Yeah. So with, e with EC, or Chester disease, or ECD as we call it, um, it's typically an adult onset disease, although we do have cases where it has affected uh, infants and small children and teenagers. But we find that about 25 to 50% of the patients have um, central diabetes insipidus. And uh, many of the ECD patients have had 
diabetes insipidus for quite a while before ECD is diagnosed. They're diagnosed with uh, DI and they get proper treatment and they everything is good until other un, uh, unusual symptoms start occurring. And when those, when they get pain where there shouldn't be pain, they get protruding uh, eyes or issues breathing or kidney problems. It can be a whole host of things, uh, other brain mm-hmm. issues. Then they're diagnosed with ECD and they learn that DI can be kind of a beginning of the ECD journey. Um, So one of the things we're really excited about with this conversation today is to let people know who might have been diagnosed with DI and are doing well, that if they ever have unusual symptoms that cannot be explained, that maybe they should have a conversation with their doctor about histiocytosis and just rule it out. We're not saying that it's highly likely that they'll have a histiocytosis, but there is a possibility. Yeah. Well, in diagnosis or early diagnosis, a suspicion, sometimes it's enough to get, you know, a lot more people diagnosed than otherwise. Yeah. And Um, it's so important to get uh, early diagnosed as early as possible, because the earlier the treatment starts, mm -hmm. the better the outcome. And we want everybody to know that you know, sometimes you look on the internet and the information about these diseases can be old. There are now treatments that work for the vast majority of patients. So it's not a diagnosis that you want to ignore and say, oh, I don't want to know if that's what it is. No, you definitely want to know and start treatment as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, Claudia, I'll ask you this question just to start the discussion. I'm always very interested in learning uh, as advocates and uh, the work that you do, how do you see advocacy in general? And um, where do you see the barriers, I guess, to the work that you do? And where do you see the opportunities uh, in, in this space? Um, obviously, you know, related to what you do, but also, also in general. Well, JD, I, I've, I've got to say the the hardest part for for me personally in this journey has been the ability for us to find information, local information in Canada. Um, uh, as public health care is uh, in Canada, social medicine, it's very difficult for uh, clinicians to take on such complicated cases such as HLH. And it becomes incumbent upon ourselves to ensure that the primary care providers at least know the indicators, what to look for in the oncoming early stages of the disease. The disease moves quickly. Within a matter of days, organs start to fail. Um, So it's imperative that the primary care provider understands what tests need to be done and look for early indications of the disease manifesting itself into, uh, into a patient. And it's our job to make sure that we continue the communications and the collaborations with great folks like the ECD and the HA to ensure that the work they do, uh, which is much more advanced than the work that, that we're able to do as a small volunteer group in Canada, is communicated across all lines of the patient care continuum and to ensure that both uh, physicians and the care providers, including the family, understand what to look for, where to seek treatment, uh, 
and what to do in the event of, what to ask for, the tests that need to be performed. So it's up to us, again, as a small volunteer group here in Canada, to educate a very large population across a very large geography. Mm-hmm. And we find that we do that more effectively through social media uh, and through sessions such as this. And we appreciate that. Do you get any sense of how um, impactful the work that you do, particularly with the primary care physicians, do, do you see or are you able to measure any sort of progress or impact? We are. And mm-hmm. HLH was long considered a childhood disease. We're starting to see, at least in Canada, I know it's not, we're not the exception, but a lot more in the adult uh, care world. And as more and more of that becomes available and more and more of that literature becomes available, I think clinicians will be focusing on looking for certain indicators and symptomology within their patients, adult patients. It, it's our goal to ultimately to, to raise awareness to a point where we have dedicated clinics that specialize in the STO disorders. And that's, that's our goal in Canada. It's a, it's a big hill to climb, but yeah. uh, we're, we're getting there. Deanna, what's, what are your thoughts on the opportunities of barriers, you know, the stuff that keeps you up at night? <laughs> yeah, there, there's quite a, quite a lot of things that keep us up at night, for sure, when we're yeah. uh, trying to combat rare disease. Yeah, I would say, with at least within the United States, I think there are a lot of great structures that exist to help foster advocacy work. So um, you know, by lobbying to local uh, politicians, representatives, you can actually get some movement on overall rare disease drug development or programs and services for rare disease in general, which ultimately helps histiocytosis patients. And so um, I think being aware of and active in some of those activities is really important. And it's wonderful that they are that the platform exists and it's structured in a way that we can get involved. I also know that um, raising awareness locally, a lot of times the, the families themselves want to get involved and take action. And so giving them the empowerment and the materials to go to their local institutions or their primary care physicians or pediatricians and distribute content actually can be very powerful because they can share their own story as well. And mm-hmm. so we like to provide them with everything they need to be able to do that. And then uh, we also participate in a variety of different conferences. One wonderful example was our recent participation at the Society of Pediatric Dermatology, where we learned that they actually found one of the histiocytic disorders, uh, juvenile xanthogranuloma, to them is actually fairly common. It's just that it goes away very quickly untreated. And it's the more systemic, more um, high risk form that is considered more rare. So we were educating each other, which is wonderful to see how the advocacy work really does kind of go both ways within the medical community. Um, You know, and there are so many barriers, of course, you have small patient populations. So it's often hard to, uh, to answer questions with definitive data. Um, and so, as we mentioned, a lot of times we're unsure exactly how many people are impacted or exactly how many are undiagnosed. And so um, there are obviously barriers to to making progress when with clinical trials and things of that nature when your sample size is so small. Yeah. And Kathy, yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to anything and that I may have left out within the United States. Yeah. Um, sure. So to piggyback on what Deanna said about the small population sizes, um, one of the things that we started the EC Global Alliance out with is the idea that 
to get research going, you have to have enough patience. Mm -hmm. And so we reach out globally to all ECD patients. And by doing that, we bring the medical community in and suddenly they see there's enough patients to do meaningful research. So it's one of the reasons why we think it's very important for patients to join the, the advocacy groups that exist, not only for them to learn individually, but also so that the, the voice of the patients becomes larger and research can actually happen. And yeah. so it doesn't just help help an individual, it helps the community at large. Yeah, that's Hey, JD, can, can I just add just of a course. little bit to that? I, I, I think the... Um, uh, both uh, Deanna and Kathleen are being quite modest. We've, since I've been on um, the panel and it's, it's not been too long, I know that they've had uh, much more time in this than I am. I've been quite impressed, not only with their enthusiasm, but their ability to reach out globally. And in that vein, we, we talked about the local penetration and the regional penetration. I gotta say under Deanna's leadership with Kathleen's support, uh, we've started a, a, a nascent organization called CHIPS, and CHIPS' goal is to drive up more global awareness around the histio disorders around the world. And what was fascinating was talking to people uh, of, of the similar ilk in Spain, in Italy, uh, in Argentina, in Brazil, uh, in Greece, and Cyprus, right across the world that mm -hmm. have the same motivation. And you know, CHIPS, the Coalition for Histio International Patient Support, is very young, but it, it's a platform that we truly believe globally. We can influence the message. Histio is histio, whether it's here or whether it's in another part of the world. Yeah. And the ability for us to trade our revelations and our advocacy programs is something that has been truly an impressive marker in terms of what we've been able to achieve in such a short period of time. So I just wanted to put that out there for the listeners that CHIPS is uh, something that you'll hear more of as we go through the program itself and we start to develop it. Uh, but again, we're taking it from the local, the national, North American, right to the global side. So I wanted to thank the ladies on the call uh, participating in this for their leadership and getting that yeah. started. Well, global, global organizations are wonderful or coalitions like that because uh, there's this thing about best practices also. And when people start sharing information, there tends to be a innovative and creative energy that happens, uh, you know, when you can uh, sort of get past the language and cultural issues, then it, then it becomes uh, really, really, really positive. Uh, so uh, that's wonderful to hear that, that you're doing that. Uh, I'm interested in in a discussion about access to medication and the cost associated and how how people either uh, make uh, avail themselves of the resources, how you help with the resources, and in general also a discussion about the resources available. I know that uh, your society has has. Uh, 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 pushed, for lack of a better word, a lot of the information we have on diabetes insipidus and in pituitary world news. And that's wonderful uh, to see that, that the work that we're doing, it's influencing some awareness and knowledge about diabetes, diabetes insipidus in your, in your area. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, access and, and the struggle or opportunities for patients as they get diagnosed. What do they go through with you know, in, in obviously in Canada, you have 
your issues, but here with insurance and specialty pharmacies and and uh, uh, costs and development, et cetera, et cetera. So who wants to start on that one? I can I can jump in, but um, okay. everyone feel free to feel free to just uh, to chime in. But I think uh, first and foremost, with histiocytosis, there uh, we've we've learned throughout the years that there are genetic mutations that exist as the underlying we'll call it cause of the disease symptoms, and with that um, has come targeted therapies, and these targeted treatments, targeted therapies are able to um, actually impact the disease in a very powerful way. And um, those often are in clinical trial form. And so patients are able to enroll in these studies and participate to take have benefit from these treatments. And uh, oftentimes the, the beauty of that is that there comes with benefit and support. There are a lot of programs out there that help patients to travel to or to cover some of the costs of the medical uh, tests that surround that. But we do hear a lot of patients really struggle with their private insurance to have uh, histiocytosis recognized as something eligible for specific tests or treatments. You know, I think one of the um, one of the hard parts about it being so rare is that the if if depending on how you approach your insurance companies, they may not recognize the condition, may not see it necessarily as a rare cancer, and therefore may not approve some of the tests that you actually do need. And um, that can be really hard because once it's denied once, it's harder to go back the second time. And so um, partnering with the with the medical team to make sure that that goes through effectively is really important. Um, and I know that there are some some companies out there, some some pharmaceutical companies that are doing a wonderful job of trying to help with that as well. Mm -hmm. How how, um, how expensive are these treatments? I mean, are you can you can you? I don't need a dollar figure, but is it an orphan disease? Correct. Actually, the histiocytosis are considered an orphan or rare disease, and so the treatments are typically, especially the um, targeted treatments that Deanna just talked about are very expensive. And so it, it can be a huge burden on a family. Um, within the ECD community, we work really closely with the medical community to support the trials that Deanna was talking about because through that we can get FDA approved treatments. And once the treatment is approved by the FDA, then the insurance will pay for it without going through the appeal process that Deanna alluded to. Mm -hmm. And so it's, uh, you know, we're very proud as an organization that our medical community works so hard. And we, for ECD, we have uh, FDA approved treatment that works for about half the patients. And we hope that someday we'll have a treatment for the other half, which really helps the patients in the US. We still have problems with patients um, in other countries. And we will work with patients one-on-one -on -one to do what we can to help them. We cannot help all patients, mm -hmm. but our goal is to help all patients. Uh, so it, it is a difficult, it is one of those things that you talked about that keeps us up at night. Yeah. How do we help patients have access to the treatments they need? So the process is uh, arduous at best, I would guess. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We rely, you know, on the medical community to do the trials and put forth for FDA approval. Um, we also rely on pharmaceutical companies to support that and to help those patients who, 
who otherwise would be denied treatment. And um, mm-hmm. many of the pharmaceutical companies are willing to dig deep and do that. Yeah. Uh, Claudia, what's the situation in Canada? Can you give us a little? Well, in Canada, it's, it's, it's much more difficult. Um, there's no private insurance per se. And the drugs are have to be approved by the Canadian government at various levels. Uh, it's an arduous process to say the least, mm-hmm. um, but the drugs are available. Uh, they're not available in large demand simply because the the number of patients that that we have in Canada that would require those drugs. But it is amplified in Canada simply because of the the hurdles that uh, have to be turned over in order to access those drugs. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's tough. Those, those, those are the things that I think uh, keep us all up at night, you know, access to medication, access to treatment, making sure that the people that need this, this, uh, these therapies and treatments actually can get it. When you multiply that worldwide, it's just a, the, the, the uh, particularly in the rare area, it's just tremendous the opportunity and the, and the need. Um, and I, and I want to, put in there that even in the U.S. when it's FDA approved and the insurance can pay, some insurances, you know, have, don't have the ability to pay at all. So even for those patients who get approval from their insurance, it still can be a huge financial burden. And we try to help patients with that as well. So um, it, it is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. So let's talk a bit of, a little bit about the resources available for patients as somebody gets diagnosed and uh, they land on the histiocytosis website, what what sort of resources do you have available and how do you connect or engage with those people? So for um, patients who get an ECD diagnosis, um, usually what they do is they start out by Googling after their doctor yeah. on the diagnosis. Yeah. And there's, like I alluded to earlier, there's some old information and they might panic but hopefully they find our website or their doctor finds our website. And one of the things uh, our organization has set up is what we call an ECD referral care center network. And so we have um, these care centers around the world and we can actually refer patients to one of these centers where the medical team is set up to give comprehensive care because the care requires all sorts of specialists. It's not a single doctor who's knowledgeable, but a lot of specialists. So we work really hard to um, get patients first and foremost to a doctor who can help them. If they cannot travel, the doctors at the care centers have committed to providing consultation to more local doctors. So it's one reason why we hope every patient with urtine chester disease can find our organization. We also have sometimes people who, who uh, contact us about other diseases and we'll put them in touch with the other advocacy groups. So if someone happens to fall on our doorstep and has LCH, we'll send them to Deanna. If they're in um, Canada, we'll send them to Claudia. Yeah. So Google seems to be the, the how people find you mostly. Correct. Yeah. In Canada, we're fortunate enough to have the uh, the world's number one ranked children's hospital, and that's uh, Newsweek ranked children's hospitals around the world. And 
Sick Kids in Canada and Toronto actually has been ranked number one. And the reason I bring that up is it, it's automatic, in, at least in the Toronto or the greater Toronto area, when your child uh, is, is at a point of care, they automatically default to sick children. And we have a tremendous staff at Sick Children's that is not only knowledgeable, but um, histio diseases and the complications that come with it, but is ready to treat them. The problem we face is when they become adults. And as I said previously, that mm -hmm. is a goal for us is to extend that care uh, past 18 years of age, where we can treat them with the same care, compassion and knowledge that they do at Sick Children's. So we're very fortunate to have that. People default automatically to, to sick kids or the sick kids website where they can find histio information. Yeah. But from our side, it is the it's a small group of us that man the email and um, uh, histio.ca is the is the site that I would direct you to yeah. for Canada. Well, we're going to put links to all of these uh, organizations in on the on the podcast uh, article that, so people will be able to to link to your sites and to any other resource site that you think would be important to, to link. Deanna, you were gonna say something. Yeah, I was just going to, to add, you know, um, of course, when, when patients are diagnosed, they do tend to Google um, and then they'll, they'll come to hopefully one of our, our sites and, and reach out for some support. Um, sometimes it's through an email, a phone call, or they just sign up for, for a newsletter just so that they can start to learn. Um, there are other, other programs and things that we, we all offer um, to help you beyond that initial, that initial research. So uh, there's a variety of educational videos and webinars, and we, we partner very often on the webinars for the histio community. And we try to cover topics that are either related to his specific histiocytic disorder or another condition or resources that you might want to look into, whether that be financial resources, help navigating insurance, things beyond that diagnosis, beyond the office visit. And we also um, have research programs. So we fund and support research to advance knowledge, treatment, and patient care, uh, in addition to really collaborating with the medical community and trying to bring the advancements back to the patients and families so that they can see the progress that is happening as well through their support. And so uh, we do try to meet them along every point of their journey, knowing that every day can be uncertain. There are questions that come up. And so we try to have something there for you at every point. And also I would, I think I could speak for all of us that we're all very passionate about connecting one-on-one -on -one with these patients and families mm -hmm. and want them to know that they, they can and should pick up the phone and call, email, whatever is comfortable, connect with us through social media, that uh, we are waiting to speak with you and help you in any way we can. And I like to say that we're really, we're here to cut through the noise. You're already managing so much when you're diagnosed with a rare disease. And there, that's a lot of stress and overwhelm that you're faced with on a day to day. And so we're here to really help hold your hand in any way we can. And we'll do the research and things for you. So I just want to add that it's not just the initial, but um, throughout the rest of your life, if you, if you need. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. Um, and if I can um, jump in, I echo everything Deanna said. Um, I also want to make sure that uh, the listeners understand we're not here just to support the patient. We're here to support the families as well, because important. we recognize that this is a disease that affects everyone. And that one-on-one -on -one, uh, connection at the ECD Global Alliance, we have a patient navigator who can help 
um, either the patients or the family. And we'll also connect patients to patients with agreement on everybody's part so that uh, people can hear from others who have walked this, the journey, taken the journey ahead of them. And we find that's often very helpful. That's, that's fantastic. This has been a wonderful discussion. I wanna thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I think it's so informational and educational to learn the way you do your work and uh, uh, how it all relates to all of the work that we do and how we can uh, gain from each other's uh, knowledge and experiences and best practices to make the work that we do for each of our communities better. So thank you. And I hope we can do many more of these uh, discussions. Thank you so much. This has just been a wonderful conversation and um, we, we hope to continue to collaborate more, especially for the Histio community to learn more about the resources that you have for diabetes insipidus. And um, the more that we can collaborate together, the stronger we'll be. Uh, Kathleen, thank you for your time. Oh, she, <laughs> Kathleen uh, disconnected. So, well, thank you to Kathleen. And uh, Claudio, thank you so much. It's been uh, a great uh, meeting you and, and to learn your perspective from Canada. And thank you so much, JD, and to Deanna for spearheading this. We really appreciate your participation. And again, I'll take any platform to advocate on, on part of our patients and families. So to everyone listening out there, thank you. Keep your messages coming. We'll do what we can to support you. A quick note, later the day we recorded this podcast, we learned that Kathy's internet connection was knocked down due to a thunderstorm. We are happy to report her internet and power were restored soon after. Our thanks again to the panel for a very informational talk. If you'd like to learn more about these organizations and the work they do, we've included links to their respective websites in the article heading this podcast. And don't miss our live talk sessions every Thursday at 3 p.m. Please check the Pituitary World News front page at the very top for the next session's date, subject, and invited guests. Please tune into the show and call in with your comments and questions. And a reminder, Pituitary World News is a nonprofit organization supported by grants and contributions. If you'd like to help, please visit pituitaryworldnews.org and click on the Donate button. Thank you, and thank you for listening.